Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you, your family and work can thrive. My name is Marina Pearson and I'm your host, transformational coach and mum who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling and full of joy. So this week I wanted to share that I'm launching an amazing course called Manifesting Miracles 2020, the beautiful Ian Watson. After realizing that manifest was a really hot topic from the amount of downloads that we got from how to manifest anything that you want on this series. We decided to club together and use our 34 years of experience to create a six-week on-live course for you to create one thing that you want to bring into your life. So anything from relationship to money to client, anything that you have thought to be totally impossible to create in your life, then we're going to give you the space to be able to do that. Now, who's it for? Well, it's for you if you've been striving and struggling to make that one thing happen. We're also going to get you clarity on what that is for you. Plus, by the end of the course, you would have manifested something of your heart's desires that you might have thought that was totally and utterly bonkers crazy that you never thought you'd be able to do so if this sounds like something that you're interested in and even you know if you've read my book you'll know that there's a chapter dedicated towards this and you want to be able to manifest and make 2020 that miraculous year for you then join me and ian if that sounds like something you want to be part of then email me at marina at marinapearson.com putting the subject line manifesting miracles and then in the body just ask me for more info and we'll take it from there hope to see you soon bye-bye for now and on this week's show i have the beautiful dr mandy leto she's an in-demand coach and corporate trainer in london she specializes in working with high achievers who are on their way to being world class her expertise is in helping women in the financial industry to progress in their careers especially through their personal brand and mindset Mandy coaches exceptional leaders. Her clients include investment bankers, lawyers, fashion stylists, screenplay writers, entrepreneurs, HR leaders, luxury brand managers, and the CEO of a national sports body. As a corporate trainer, she creates innovative and impactful sessions for world-class companies. And I met the beautiful Mandy Leto on one of those wonderful networking events in Athena and we instantly had a connection and I just loved her energy and I loved her way of expression so much so that uh, we found out that she was a former columnist for the Psychologies magazine and she's written for and featured in the Sunday Times, Psychology Today, Top Sante, the Huffington Post, but to name a few. She's an amazing person and has an incredible capacity to share her wisdom succinctly and with such grace and beauty and that's why I decided to bring her on today because of her knowing of holding success lightly so that we can achieve without necessarily doing so with our knuckles turning bright white so if you're gung-ho achiever and loves to get stuff done but is doing so with white knuckles and stress and anxiety then this is going to be an amazing episode for you enjoy so welcome everybody. And today I have the beautiful Mandy Leto. I met Mandy, gosh, how long have we known each other now? Probably about eight years. 
is it that probably probably about eight years nine years something like that yeah something like that and uh I I really when I first met her I I connected with her and I really I met her at a networking do in London and we connected and so um we've spoken to each other before we've connected before and just really loved Mandy from the beginning and I just loved her journey and what she's up to in the world and I just thought I'd bring her on today to talk all about the beauty of perfectionism. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's such a joy to be here and play for for this conversation. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. So Mandy, what has been your journey in this whole journey of perfectionism that I know that a lot of mums have um, that stops them from doing stuff that they want to do, but possibly also being really harsh on themselves? Well, I think perfectionism, for me, the way I look at perfectionism is it's a symptom of my compulsion to overachieve. And what I mean by that is there's a distinction in my mind between being a high achiever and being an overachiever. And I think it's kind of like the same vehicle if we think about it, but it's got a different engine. So the high achiever, I think of the high achievers of the world, the ones that are, they're really wanting to make an impact and they're doing loads of stuff and they're trying and experimenting and failing and pivoting and they're being very successful because they hold this whole idea of success lightly. They're not attached to the outcome of what it looks like to be the ideal parent or whatever other roles we're playing in life, because many of us are multitasking in that respect. So I think the high achievers, they're willing to show up and give it the best that they've got, but their engine is really about, I want to, I want to do the best I can here. I want to make an impact. I want to go through to the end of my life and be fully used up and not leave any music inside of me. And I'm not attached to what what the result is supposed to look like. I will show up and give it my all. And then whatever happens, it's like, oh, cool. That's what's happened. Whereas I think the overachievers and the perfectionists, the engine that drives them, and certainly in my case, was that I'm not good enough. And therefore, I must avoid making mistakes. I must avoid doing anything that I'm not already good at. I must avoid doing anything where I will be criticized or where people might point and laugh or gossip behind my back. And therefore, I will tend to, I will tend to play on a much smaller playing field. I will tend to do things that I already know, things that I'm already good at. I'll stay in my hood, so to speak. I won't go out and explore new things because me as an overachiever and me as a recovering perfectionist, I have historically been very attached to like there's a there's a deep connection between my sense of self-worth and my output or my achievements or the way I parent or how I look or how much I've got done in a day. So I think the that distinction I think for this conversation is an important one for anybody who identifies as a perfectionist. It's the intention is good, but I think the driver of it is I will show you, I will be good enough, I will be worthy. And 
it seems like a battle that we can never win because all successes, all compliments, all senses of achievement fall into this big bottomless pit that for a moment make us feel like, oh, I'm not that bad. You know, I, I don't suck as a mother. I'm not, I'm not as bad of an employee as I thought I was. Or, but there's always the next thing and the next thing. It's, so it becomes unsustainable and eventually it grinds us right down. That's been my experience. I love this. I can so resonate. And, and, you know, what really struck me was when you can hold success lightly, like that really had some sort of impact on me. I felt like my whole body go with goosebumps all over it. And, and cause I can really identify between, I can really identify the journey that you've been on because I've been on it. <laughs> and it's such a bloody relief, right? Although there is that the, the overachiever of me does come in now and again, and I lose sight of it, but it's not where I sit from mostly these days. And it's so beautiful to hear that, that there is an option. Because I think when we're stuck in the, in the latter, it feels like there isn't even an option there. It feels like that's the only engine that we have. But what I'm really hearing is, is there's an option to drive it from a different engine. And that if we become aware that there is even an option, that can, that can really do something for us. I remember um, having this massive epiphany around experimentation. And I used to think that what was important was the result. And I didn't really enjoy the journey. And you know, you hear this in personal development where they go, blah, 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 enjoy the journey, blah, 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 enjoy the journey. I was like, fuck you, Mm. (laughs) not enjoying the journey. Uh, It's a load of bollocks. I don't want to enjoy the journey. And because I honestly didn't see how it was possible. Until one day I realized in watching my son experimenting with some stuff on the beach and I'm like, that's never going to work. And then suddenly being hit with the insight that, oh, he's not in it for it to work. He's in it for the exploration. Holy, holy crap. Like what if I could come to my life that way? Yeah. Mm. And that, that really did something for me. Yeah. Yeah. That zings with me too. It's really tricky though, because I think particularly for young girls, there's so much pressure for young girls. At least there was in my generation. Maybe things are changing. I hope so. But for young girls to, you know, to be passive, to be perfect, to be polite, unfailingly, those three P's can get in the way of so much. And so much of this perfectionist stuff is actually set up in childhood, isn't it? And I think it's not only us as moms who might be handling our perfectionitis, but also thinking, how are we raising our children? How are we raising our daughters? And exactly like you said with your son, allowing them to experiment, allowing them to get things wrong, feeling like they're still worthy if they've come home with a five out of 10 on a test. And it, it, there's, there's a lot for us to hold, not only kind of reparenting ourselves through our own perfectionism, but also making sure that we're cleaning it up, that it can stop with us. I've just noticed your shirt. It says winging it. <laughs> it really does. Chosen on purpose for this podcast. Okay. Right. I was wondering, were you wondering when I would notice? this is like my complete theme on parenting and it really it shows up 
This is too important. This is my philosophy on parenting. It's too important to be taken too seriously. Because the opposite of holding something lightly is white knuckling your way through everything. And if we white knuckle our way through parenting, you know that we can't we can't allow ourselves to be open for for whatever's coming. And there is no there's no journey like parenting. You know, we were talking about that before before the recording started and it's just this requires everything you've got in your toolkit and then it's holding it lightly and kind of winging it because you can't do anything wrong and you can't do anything right so somewhere between these two poles (laughs) hopefully we get more right and you know it could be the thing that we never had on our radar that's going to have our kids in therapy in 20 years right yeah totally but that's okay because I know that in 20 years' time, um, there will be enough consciousness on the planet that he'll be fine. He'll see how brilliant he is, and he'll know that it's just part of his human experience. But interestingly enough that you brought this up, actually, it's not just girls, because I've seen this with my son already, already, and he's only five. And he's very competitive. And it, and it occurred to me one day to ask him, because he would hate it, if, if I would win, right? So I got curious about that one day and I said, Baba, what's that about? Like, you know, why do you always have to win? And he's just, because I want to, mommy. And I said, hang on a second. Is there something around, what happens if you don't win? I don't feel great. And I said, ah, so are you scared of not winning? He goes, yeah. And I was like, well, that's just the same as saying that you, you fear failing, and it was in that moment that I said to him, you do realize though that, but, but, but that if you don't win, you learn. And that, that learning is priceless. That learning is where you grow and where you learn. And learning is awesome. You love to learn, right? He went, yeah, yeah, I love to learn. And I said, well, there you go. He went, oh. mm-hmm. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? We need to follow our own advice too, because we're, we're dishing this stuff out to our kids. And I think... It's really about how are we modeling this being willing to fail, being willing to experiment, having outcome apathy, holding life lightly, being in the moment, not being constantly distracted, not comparing ourselves to the shiny highlight reel of social media. I think a lot of it too is it's not just what we say, it's about how we be in the world as well. So I know that you go and you, you, you work in, in co- the corporate environment, don't you? Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious about what you've seen, the shifts that you've seen when, when you work in the terms of, I'm assuming that most of your clients, they, they, they hold life with their white knuckles. And what you've seen as a result when they just open up, let go, and just, as you say, hold the success lightly what's possible for them when they do that? I don't know if I've ever seen, so I'm going to go back to the beginning of your question and kind of pick up from there. I don't know if I've ever witnessed anybody going from white knuckling to holding life lightly in one fell swoop, because a lot of these, a lot of these patterns and habits have been part of what, what I call a winning strategy. So a lot of us 
lay down track, as I said, going back from when we're very young to understand what does it mean for me to be successful in the world? How can I be perfect or as close to perfect as possible? So there are these old ways of being that show up in the world. And there comes a time where those ways of being stop being effective. So let me give you an example. When I was working in investment banking or when I was coming up to finish my PhD, parts of my winning strategy were outwork everybody. I didn't have to be the smartest person in the room as long as I was willing to outwork absolutely everybody. If I could work seven days a week, no problem. Bring it on. Mm-hmm. I can stay longer. I can drink more coffee. You know, I can, I can, I can do high intensity interval training, like to keep myself completely jacked up and, and, you know, really, really on the ball. And that was part of my winning strategy. Another part of my winning strategy, and I'm sharing this because it's not just about me. I think a lot of people will resonate with this is also don't have strong opinions and don't have any boundaries, you know, because if you can be any, anything that anybody needs you to be, whether it's at work or at home, then life goes more smoothly for a little while until you kind of swallow your wants, swallow what you need, swallow, oh, I would really like to have a day off and have some me time, but no, no problem. I can become the human chameleon to be whoever I need to be. And those, those are just two examples, but those were part of my winning strategy. Like do be whoever I need to be for others and outwork everybody. And those actually, they're not wrong. They made me incredibly successful. And when I started to white knuckle those ways of being, I could get even more juice out of them. And, you know, it worked brilliantly in my corporate job because it allowed me to, you know, climb the corporate ladder like a Navy SEAL. But the thing is, there comes a time where that stops working, right? There's a saying, the saying that I learned from one of my mentors, he said, the horse you rode into town ain't going to be the horse you ride out of town. And I thought, oh my God, that is so wise that all of a sudden, this might be what what aligns with the engine change. Because I crashed spectacularly. I was recovering for six years from incredibly severe adrenal fatigue and fibromyalgia and my body just saying like, "Mm -mm, we're not doing that anymore. Whatever you wanted to do up there in the control center from the (laughs) neck up, you do whatever you want to do, but we are not playing ball. We are sitting this one out. And I think the reason I share this story is I see this a lot with the people who I coach in corporate. There are so many heads on legs, so many mothers, so many fathers out there who are trying to be perfect at work. They're trying to be perfect um, at home and they're using an old winning strategy. And there comes a time, I don't know if it's kind of like a midlife thing, but all of a sudden that horse that you rode into town is tired and it needs to lay down and it needs watering and feeding. And it kind of like just needs to hang out with other horses and not think about how we're going to ride a hundred miles dusty road to the next town. And It's one of those things that it can feel like death to give that strategy up, you know, to slow down, to hold life lightly, to be more playful. Ooh, then then that means I'm not going to be successful. Because remember, all of this winning strategy and perfectionist stuff is being really over-identified 
with the achievement, being really over-identified with status, being really over-identified with the title and all of that type of stuff. So all of a sudden to lay that down and to actually have boundaries and to put your own likes forward and to work like a normal, hardworking human person instead of like some kind of insane robot, that can feel really discombobulating. So I get that. And I think those are the people who I end up coaching because it's not going from white knuckling to holding life lightly. This can feel like a profound shift of identity and not in a good way. So usually what happens is the people that I'm working, they need to smack into a wall because they feel invincible. That's part of their winning strategy. Hmm. I felt invincible. Like, oh yeah, all that rest stuff, that's for other people. That's for the wimps. Of course, you don't say that out loud, but, you know, pack in a couple of newborns and, you know, the, the, the beautiful and incredibly draining challenges of parenting. And, you know, this does, stuff doesn't go away as they get older, like they get out of nappies, great, and then they go into school, but the, it just changes. Yeah. So <laughs> in my experience, the whole process of going from white knuckling to holding life lightly it's it's happens in fits and starts and it often doesn't happen until somebody really hits the wall in some way and realizes like this shit's got to change because i'm going down or my life is falling to pieces or there's a health scare or something happens in a marriage or a relationship or something happens to really shake things up because i think a lot of perfectionists are so over identified this is who i am that to change strategy feels just like cutting off a piece of yourself. Hmm. That's the most honest answer to your question. Never in all the, I don't know, I, countless number of people who I've coached have been like, oh, great. They haven't like gone willingly into the sunset and said, I want to hold life lightly. It's, it's really been like this thrashing. Well, it makes sense if we think that our identity is that, right? Hmm. If we think that our identity has got something to do with what we do as to, as opposed to who we be. Yeah. And I really hear that. Like, I'm sure that, that anyone listening will also hear that too, in that change and transformation doesn't always look very pretty. Um, it happens when it needs to happen and you hear insight when you hear it. And it's not necessarily all in one fell swoop, is it? It's usually... No. Oh, fuck. <laughs> ah, why did I notice that before? Or I'm noticing I'm doing that again. And it becomes lighter, doesn't it? I did a, I, it's funny, I did a video today on this very thing whereby, like, we can fall back into those patterns, but do we then just notice them or do we then beat ourselves up about the fact that we're back in them again? Right. I don't think in, that they ever go away. In my experience, and it's, all, it's also not something to make them wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just being curious of, does this way of showing up in the world continue to serve me powerfully? Mm -hmm. And usually when people get to a certain part of their lives, like the horse you ride into town won't be the horse you ride out of town. It's in that, it's in that pivot point somewhere where those winning strategies are no longer creating the positive impact that they once had. And therefore, there's this period of turbulence or discombobulation of like, okay, well, if I'm not that, and that's not how I behave, and that's not how I show up, then what is it? 
And we tend to be very binary as human beings. Like if it's not black, it's white. You know, if it's not hot, it's cold. So if I'm not this super achiever, like what am I, a sloth who lies on the sofa and track pants watching daytime TV and throwing M&Ms into my gullet, like doing nothing? No, um, there's, it's all about the gray area and starting to play with finding out what, what is my, what is my inherent worth? It's not, doesn't mean that I'm a nobody if I didn't get through my 572 items on my to-do list, which was never reasonable anyway. That goes back to all this stuff that, you know, why do you think Brene Brown is so successful? Because she is capturing something so key to the zeitgeist of the moment is that we are inherently enough. Whatever we do, we are enough. Mm-hmm. And putting aside, there's this quote that I have on my Instagram. It said, um, I'm, I'm a recovering overachiever and an aspiring good enoughist. And that is such a great mental tattoo for me. I'm an aspiring good enoughist because those compulsions to do and to overdo and to overgive and to say, if I'm depleted, sure, I'll make the brownies, even if I have to do it at 1am for the school fet or what have you, it would be perfectly okay for me to say, I would love to help, but not this time. So these these compulsions come up like little pop-up windows constantly in my brain, like, you know, do this, overgive, overdo, overpromise. And they still keep coming back, even when I'm holding life way more lightly than I used to. Because sometimes there's sometimes we do need to kick into that other engine, right? Sometimes for short periods of time, we need to get shit done. And then we can click back into, and it needs to have a super high standard. So there's, it's not wrong being a perfectionist. It's just, it's exhausting to run at that speed all the time. So I think that's, those are two key things that I I would hope to get across in this conversation. It's not bad or wrong to be a perfectionist and it probably never goes away. You just get better at catching it. And have you found that in catching it, you're actually more compassionate towards yourself? Or at least you, you, there is a sense of like, I'm not going to beat myself up about the fact that I am doing this still. You know, the funny thing is I found it easier to actually be, be more playful with myself and to kind of rib myself a little bit as opposed to, oh, there, there, honey, it's okay. That somehow didn't resonate with me as much as, oh, look at you, bless your cotton socks. You're doing that thing again. like to look at it from that slightly sarcastic tone but still holding it really playfully like that playful aspect that I find much better and that allows me to hold things lightly because I can kind of take the mickey with myself when I find myself doing something like oh look at me getting all bent out of shape about that I just imagine myself with my lips like a cat's bum, you know, being all crotchety. And and then all of a sudden the mood lightens because I know, oh, here I am again. And I know if I stay in that pinched up place, I know how that story goes. I'm no fun to be around. It doesn't make the thing that I want to happen, happen. And also remember what I said earlier about our kids are watching us all the time. So if I'm trying to tell them to meditate and be a good human being and be nice to themselves... And yet I'm walking around radioactive because something hasn't gone the way I hoped. That's out of integrity.
And yet I think that there's, there's that gray area again, which is um, it's okay if you do fall back into, to embrace that human experience, right? <laughs> I, I, I kind of liken it to, and I used to do this, I used to take, like when Neo used to spill stuff on the floor, which, you know, he did on a regular basis and, you know, being a, being a two-year-old can be very messy. I used to take it really seriously and I, there was that sort of, really used to irk me that that would happen. But over time I was like, what, <sighs> really? Um, and now it's so interesting because obviously at some point in my life when I did something like that, I got reprimanded for it highly and it was taken quite seriously. And so um, I notice it now when I'm about to jump down his throat and then go, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> Next. And isn't it great to have a kind of catch-all phrase? Oh, well, never mind. I mean, that applies to 100% of situations, okay. right? <laughs> so if that becomes your default, as soon as you notice that you're triggered and you're about to go ape, then in that moment, or go Hulk, that's even a better phrase. That's what my son said to me, going Hulk. If you're about to go Hulk at some stage, if you can have like a new neural connection, like, oh, well, never mind. It's, there's so much fun that we can, you know, we can have so much fun with our own brains and our own behaviors. Like we can become our own best science experiments, Hmm. learning to hardwire new behaviors in. So when something happens, oh, well, never mind. And it completely diffuses the situation. It does. And I, I have another question, which I've kind of seen, but I am curious as to whether, which is like becoming an adult, we now, everything has to be taken very seriously because if it's not, it means that we're not responsible. Have you found, have you found any kind of um, truth in that? I think that there's an opportunity to be very responsible, very professional, if we're thinking even in the workplace, and still hold things lightly. Mm. I think that it's actually more responsible to have the pliability and the suppleness of holding things lightly than it is to come in like a bulldozer and take everything way too seriously because it means we're in a state of being triggered it means that we have, we have some kind of deep association with how a certain situation is supposed to turn out or how it should be, and that we're living and being piloted by expectation as opposed to having the creativity and the suppleness in the moment when we hold things more lightly. So I don't think the two are exclusive. I actually think that this is one of the things that I'm playing with at the moment is Mm. how can I be as agile and supple and hold things as lightly as possible on things that I take deeply seriously? Mm. You know, the relationship with my children, for example, I have a 16 year old son, which comes with some degree of challenges. And he's 16 already, of course. He's he 16. <laughs> and we were having a heated debate the other day. And he said to me, You're failing as a mother. Ugh. And that was like taking a bullet. Ugh. 
And then, <laughs> and the thing uh, is, being, uh, being a wife and a mother is the thing that I take most seriously. This is the most important, aside from, you know, me, myself being in good health and good Nick that I can still be on this side of the grass. The most important thing to me is my family. And I left a, you know, a, a career that I had invested a lot of time and energy into because I didn't want my son to call the nanny mummy like he did once. He didn't want to come home with me. He clung to her neck like a baby chimpanzee and said, I don't want to go home with her. No, mummy, I'm staying here with you. And I thought, oh, man. Wow. So I knew something had to change. And from that point forward, I thought, I am dedicating myself. I'm so committed to being the best mom and being the most responsible mom that I can be. And then, you know, to hear that statement. And I thought, what if I held this lightly? Like my first instinct was it was actually physically painful to hear that. And my second instinct was he's hurting. He's in this turbulent place between childhood and manhood. And he's struggling to figure out what his boundaries are and how to be and what, you know, what, what's the right thing to do. Just like I'm in this turbulent place from being somebody who's changing my own engine. You know, it's, he may not be changing an engine, but he's changing. And all changes comes with turbulence. And when I could hold the situation without white knuckling it and without feeling like he's supposed to respect me, he's supposed to understand everything I've sacrificed for him. I mean, do we ever actually understand that until we become parents ourselves? No. I never did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had, I realized how saddled down I was with expectation that he was supposed to be behaving a certain way. He was supposed to be respecting me. He was supposed to understand that this is not the way we have meaningful conversations with our mothers because I'm not going to be here forever. Doesn't he know that? So I found myself going into all these spinoffs and getting more and more flared at the nostril and uh, holding it, holding it again, white knuckling the whole situation. And again, this, this thing about, going in between white knuckling and holding it lightly white knuckling. it even happens in the span of a conversation even though i think about this a stupid amount of the time it's not a switch it off and all of a sudden you're free even in the course of a heated conversation there can be this i'm so mad at you i could strangle you and i get it i know that you're having a hard time it's not easy being 16 and these two conversations can coexist ping-ponging in your mind at the same time. So it's, um, it's a constant challenge. <laughs> ah, um, but what I love about this story is, Mandy, is, is you saw it. And that wisdom inside of you spoke to you that you could actually be quiet enough to see that he was actually having a hard time, that it wasn't personal to you, that actually he was also suffering in that moment. Yeah. And that was his way of lashing out, but it wasn't anything at you. And I just love the fact that you saw that. That's so beautiful. Um, and and it kind of like, yeah, it's really hopeful. Like to me, that's really hopeful that 
that we have this capacity to see something um, and be quiet, even though we might have a lot of noise at the same time, but just hear something new for ourselves to actually have that capacity to go, wow, you must be suffering. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I'm really touched by that. Mm, Thank you. And it doesn't always work like that. I don't want to like say that I'm enlightened in a sunbeam on the side of a mountain wearing long robes. Like, please do not get me wrong. This is a work in progress. Sometimes I absolutely lose my shiitake big time. (laughs) And then otherwise I'm like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I regret it. But I can, I can, again, then I'll rib myself and say, hey, oh, you know, better next time, chin up, buttercup type of thing. And just realizing that we are, like my sweatshirt says, we're all winging it. We're all winging it. And it's okay. Going back to this thing about parenting, we can't do it wrong and we can't do it right. It all exists somewhere between those two poles. We also can't be responsible for what others think about us either. (laughs) Oh, now that is a juicy topic. Yes. Yes. Let's go there. Okay, let's do it. Right. So, and? (laughs) Well, I'm just really present to this because I think this has, this is like a big satellite off of perfectionism. And so is comparisonitis and all of this, this attempting to control. I think this has, this is a huge part of perfectionism and overachieving is the attempt to control outcomes, the attempt to if we work hard enough or we're focused enough or we throw ourselves at it enough or we throw enough money at it or energy or time that we can force a situation to go in a particular way and that somehow if we even deplete ourselves if if necessary, what the goal of that is actually isn't the goal. The goal of that is sometimes to buy ourselves immunity from criticism. Mm -hmm. It's to buy ourselves... Um, the ability to be immune from others judging us and the ability to manage our, our image. And, you know, that I, this certainly happens at the school gate. Everybody's giving each other the side eye, although nobody would ever want to admit that, but, you know, we make judgments about what kind of mothers other mothers are. And I think there's such a freedom in, noticing that happening. Like for me, that kind of compulsion to control and to try to control other people's um, impressions of me and to try to control what other people think about me. When I, there's a certain feeling associated with that in me. Like I notice that I'm trying to get kind of clutchy, goes back to the white knuckling thing. I notice that I'm hustling in some way, like I'm hustling to influence somebody's opinion. And I don't know about you, but in my body, even before I know I'm doing it, it feels kind of gross. I can't really point to precisely what it is, but it just feels yucky. And as soon as it feels yucky, all I need to do is take one breath. One breath in that moment when the yuckies strike is enough to make me realize, oh, I'm doing that thing again. And actually, when I've taken that breath, I can pull back a little bit and see what is it that I'm craving in this moment? 
What is it that I'm hustling for? And if I can understand that what I'm craving for is actually to feel connected or to feel accepted or to feel like I'm part of this other group of these other mums standing here at the school gate and I'm, please tell me I'm not failing as badly as I think I am. Underneath all of that yuckiness, when I actually stop and be with, be with it just for a minute, is just the deep craving for okayness. Like, it's okay. It's all right. You don't have to be a somebody to be somebody, right? Like, it's this. So I think that's what it would be, is just notice, notice being in that place. Take one breath and then asking yourself, what am I really craving in this moment? Because the hustle is there for trying to satiate a craving of some kind or a want of some kind. And for me, 99% of the time, it's just like, I just want to be okay. And it's just a reassurance like, hey, you're okay. You're all right. In this moment, you're all right. And it's okay to feel icky. It's okay to slide into old habits. It's all good. It just kind of reminds me of how it is to be human. Yeah. But that we have this capacity to see new things and experience our life in a very different way if we're willing to look, I suppose, and to be open to it. Um, yeah, I, I, I just feel very quiet right now. Um, I don't really know what else to say other than thank you. <laughs> Thank you for thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. But also thank you for, for your uh, honesty, really. Because I, I was there with you at the gate. I was really there with you. And I'm sure that the listeners were there with you too. Because that is such a common theme that I hear over and over again. And really what it get what I get to see is that we're not on our own and that everybody is in the same fucking boat. <laughs> kind of really levels the playing field, doesn't it? It does. And it's such a reality check. I mean, I don't know how many times you or any of your listeners who have kids who have to wear school uniforms on the morning while you're trying to get breakfast down. I don't have my sports kit is in the wash and how I've ended up like washing armpits of sports kit and using the blow dryer on them. Like you cannot go with that onion stinking armpits to your sports lesson or, you know, like those kind of things are just, it just keeps it real. And I think bringing a sense of playfulness and, and almost like a sense of comedy. What I sometimes do in these kind of situations where I'm feeling that I'm going to blow my top because especially, you know, these things you're trying to get everybody out the door at a certain time and, their shoes missing and all of this stuff. I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm so not, I'm so not winning at this mothering thing. Is I almost pull myself out of the scene. It's almost like I'm watching myself on CCTV. And then I just play Benny Hill music to the whole thing. <laughs> That's amazing that you have that enough space to be able to do any of that. Because I've taught myself how to take the one breath when I'm feeling gross or icky or triggered or anything. Just one breath. It doesn't even need to be two. And then you can decide, like, how do I apply some humor or some lightness to this situation? 
Like nobody ever died of stinky sport kit, right? Or a missing shoe or, or whatever else, or being 20 minutes late at the school gate or whatever. We can take these things way too seriously. So this sense of, you know, whether, whatever it takes, put Benny music, Benny Hill music on in your head or pull yourself up and watch your, what your pinched up face at 30, you know, pulling yourself up onto CCTV or any of these little things, they just, they're a pattern interrupt. So if there's a trigger and it goes straight to meltdown, how can you find some way of putting a proverbial crowbar into that machinery in your head that goes from being triggered to having a meltdown? Mm-hmm. And for me, I think it's play and humor in some way. And, you know, for, for other people, it might be something way more Zen than that. And, you know, this is just my way, but my invitation would be find a way to interrupt your normal pattern from trigger to meltdown. And it just becomes such a game changer. Well, thank you, Mandy. I think that's a really beautiful place for us to stop and close the conversation. If anybody that wants to contact you, um, to play with this idea of white knuckle to, um, oh, yeah, white knuckle to flow. <laughs> yeah, because it, holding things lightly will look different for everyone, right? Yeah. How can they connect with you? My social media of choice is Instagram. So come and hang out with me there. I talk about things very lighthearted to deep, the whole spectrum there. And also you can find me on my website, which is mandyletto.com. I do podcast as well, which is MoxieCast. So I'd love to, you know, have in any form of any of those three options, whatever suits you. Thank Thank you you for having me, Marina. It was really fun. Pleasure. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for your insights and your beautiful um, energy bringing it to the show today. So thank you. Thank you. And so, yeah, everybody that's been listening, until the next time. Bye for now. So this week, I wanted to share that I'm launching an amazing course called Manifesting Miracles 2020 with the beautiful Ian Watson. After realizing that manifesting was a really hot topic from the amount of downloads that we got from how to manifest anything that you want on this series, we decided to club together and use our 34 years of experience to create a six-week on-live course for you to create one thing that you want to bring into your life. So anything from relationship to money to client, anything that you have thought to be totally impossible to create in your life, then we're going to give you the space to be able to do that. Now, who's it for? Well, it's for you if you've been striving and struggling to make that one thing happen. We're also going to get you clarity on what that is for you. Plus, by the end of the course, you would have manifested something of your heart's desires that you might have thought that was totally and utterly bonkers crazy that you never thought you'd be able to do so if this sounds like something that you're interested in and even you know if you've read my book you'll know that there's a chapter dedicated towards this and you want to be able to manifest and make 2020 that miraculous year for you then join me and ian if that sounds like something you want to be part of then email me at marina at marinapearson.com putting the subject line manifesting miracles and then in the body just ask me for more info and we'll take it from there hope to see you soon and there we have it another amazing episode of the joy of being until the next time remember you are the joy you seek